0: Today's topic is true sexual intimacy, and since it's the kind of topic that you never talk about in church, and it's a very intimate topic, uh, let me try not to shout and scream and preach, but try to be calm, and uh, let me try to do a more homey atmosphere, and let's try doing a chat instead of a major sermon, Okay. Because, but I may not last in this chair, so it was my wife's idea. All right, chapter 2, verse 24. Again, it's a well-familiar verse. It says this, for this reason, a man will leave his father, and the key word here last week was leaving. We're going to come back to that this week. A man will leave, as a, Moses was giving a summary of what marriage is supposed to be, it is a leaving of his father and mother and be united, underline united, that's the word for cleaving or sticking, united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And then, as you remember, then they fell, they rebelled against God, and as a result, we ended up in verse 7 of chapter 3, where the eyes of both of them were opened, they realized they were naked, and now nakedness became a, an issue of shame, and they sew fig leaves together and make coverings for themselves. Now, they're a married couple, now they're ashamed, and uh, God comes searching for them and saying, where are you? In verse 10, and Adam says, I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid, and, and then we have the man blaming the woman for the problem. The woman blaming Satan for the problem, and then God goes on from there. And then the second verse is from Ruth chapter 1, and uh, let's just read it, because I don't want you to go back to Genesis 2 for the rest of the message, but in Ruth chapter 1, it's a famous verse read at lots of weddings. People don't really know what it means, but it's read at weddings. It sounds good. Chapter 1 of Ruth, verse 16. Oh, just hold your hand there. We'll, we'll read it and then we get to it, all right? Okay, so we're going to pray. I believe there is a move of the Holy Spirit going on in the world, and I believe that God's moving here in our midst in very wonderful ways, and God is about holiness. God is about maturing us. God is about that his word would penetrate our lives, and he is about maturing us as individuals, and he wants to leave no area untouched by the word and by the Holy Spirit. He wants all of our lives to be conformed to the image of Jesus, and that includes Uh, marriages if we're married singleness if we're single our sexuality there is nothing that's to be left untouched by God and uh, so let's pray and commit this time to the Lord Father I do pray that uh, you would mature us and that you would teach us to love one another that Lord today would move us each forward in our following of Jesus Christ Pray for those who are married here in our midst, God, that you would pour out your grace. Father, we pray for the singles in our midst. Pray you pour out your grace and that you would make us all like your son, Jesus. So, Lord, redeem that which has been robbed uh, from us and perverted and distorted in the name of Jesus. Amen. A few weeks ago, we received a Newsweek uh, issue. To our house, we don't receive Newsweek anymore, but uh, because in this issue, my with within a couple hours, one of my two daughters—we have four daughters—and a nine-year-old, and eleven-year-old—one of them had begun to read one of the articles, and it was a very explicit article about a—it was a book review about an incestuous relationship between a father and his adult daughter, and uh, it just had quotes from the book that were very graphic and inappropriate, and. I walked in, and there was one daughter reading the quote to my other daughter, and, uh, you know, we were just really grieved, my wife and I. It was like our, our nine-year-old had just lost some of her innocence, and it wasn't a very pretty picture of sexuality, um, and, uh, you know, she wasn't ready to be exposed to that at all, and, uh, I mean, we canceled our subscription quickly, but we're bombarded sexually. I mean, we're bombarded, all of us. I mean, it's, just, it's, it's constant. The New York Times had an article recently too about sex and and, uh, comedies on TV and it said this, there's one thing that virtually anyone who watches TV agrees on and that sex is everywhere. A study recently released found that three of every four shows in the family hour from 8 to 9 p.m. contain sexually related talk or behavior. Three of four. And after nine o'clock it goes way, way up the percentage. But sex sells. It sells everything from shoes to milk to toothpaste to music, video, TV, books and and uh, it's a constant bombardment. And uh, in terms of sexual abuse, I don't know what it was like generations ago, and, uh, undoubtedly it existed, but the amount of sexual abuse that is going on in our culture is astounding. And there are many studies done, and uh, it's startling. It's said that 52% of women have experienced some sort of sexual abuse by the time they reach adulthood, and, and 36% of men. And, uh, and so we add the factors of People's immorality and permissiveness before marriage, and the truth is, there is so much damage that's been done to our souls uh, that it's really frightening. And God is about redeeming that. God is about coming into that area as well and making it whole uh, by the love and the power of Jesus. And and really, the church, the Christian church, over the centuries, uh, has really uh, had a difficult time with sexuality as well. And had a hard time integrating spirituality and sensuality if you go back to the church fathers and some of you know church history and and uh you know celibacy was a big thing i mean if you were going to really go for god you were going to be celibate and there was a platonic notion of you know really going for god would be deny sexuality completely and some of the early church fathers like augustine who before he became a christian was could really easily be said he was a sex addict Uh, but as conversion you know his theology permeated the church and preached that basically Sex was only for procreation. Anytime you had sex outside of procreation, even within marriage, was sin. And then people like Origen who was another great theologian in Egypt, and uh, he castrated himself. Uh, took that verse literally of Jesus: "If you struggle with lust, uh, you know, cut it off," which he did. And uh, as a model. And then you had Jerome, another church father who, who would throw himself on thorns so that the, it would have such pain that it would overwhelm his desires for females. And uh, so these were the church leaders, and so you know as a result, most most of us, uh, the church doesn't say a lot about sex, Um, and the church generally tends to be silent if anything. And and so most of us growing up, whether we're in church or not, we learned about sexuality as children and as teenagers basically on the streets. That's what we learned in movies, and it's permeated, and we bring it into our marriages, and we basically, when our marriages are very much influenced by, and our sexuality by what we've learned growing up, and we just take it as a as as that's it as gospel, and, uh, but the truth is God did create sexuality and God loves sexuality, in fact an entire book of the Bible is dedicated to sexuality, song of songs, uh, to passionate love making within the context of marriage, an entire book of the Bible is dedica- right in the center there, but it's a real spiritual warfare issue and I would be remiss if I didn't say that, I mean this is, this is we're talking warfare and bringing down principalities and powers, friends there is perhaps no greater area where more people are damaged and destroyed than over their sexuality, and crippled in their ability to move on with God. And, uh, and so if you see, even in Genesis chapter 3, uh, you know, in 224, before the fall, before there was sin, uh, there was no shame. There was, there was really perfect sexuality between male and, and female. But, but once that ends, uh, in Genesis 3, we see now we've got the fighting of the sexes, we've got shame, we've got denial, we've got a lack of vulnerability. And, and the truth is, we are in a warfare with an evil one who seeks to shame and rob and pervert that which is beautiful, God-given, and for life. And uh, so the last few weeks, really beginning last week, uh, I began this foundations of biblical intimacy related specifically to marriage. And uh, we talked about leaving and cleaving. And uh, this week we'll talk about sexuality. And we're going to move, so move on to genders, male, female, and then the whole issue of what does it mean to grow glory in another person. And I'll explain what that means. So this is kind of in the midst of a little series. So if you missed last week, you need to pick up that tape and listen to it because I'm going very specific now. And, and so if you, have, if you have children here, and I, numerous parents, I want my children to hear this message. And, I, you know, there's no way children are going to pick up all that I'm saying. I, I don't think what I'm saying is that sensitive. They, like a 10, 11-year-old can't sit through this. But the truth is they're not going to really grasp all that I'm saying. And so I want to encourage the parents here to, to go home and talk to your children and, and do some, you know, explanation on a level they can grasp of uh, what we're talking about today because it's best they learn from you and from us than they learn from their friends. They probably know it already, which is a sad thing, uh, just from kindergarten and first grade. So, I'm going to make three points, three kind of areas. I'm just trying to talk to you and I'm not going to say everything, please. I I was sitting there and just I know the stuff going through your minds. Some stuff would not be appropriate to talk about in a large setting like this, so I'm not going to address it. Others are just, uh, just not appropriate to say in a large setting, period. And uh, just for the sake of time, it's just not feasible. So to be followed through. But three things, OK, to kind of give us a framework. And the first is this, that to really experience and live out true sexuality or sexual intimacy requires you, under- you see the big picture. Without the big picture, it's distorted, OK? So the first thing I want to talk about is true sex- sexual intimacy requires the big picture. And I think many folks go into, their, into marriage, live marriages for years, and never have the big picture, as well as singles and teens. True sexual intimacy requires sacrifice, and I'll explain what that talks about. And then finally, true sexual intimacy re- requires honesty, repentance, and bold love, and I'm going to talk about that as well. All right, so those are kind of the three places I'm going. All right, let's just talk about this, this requirement of, of uh, the big picture and, and what that is, all right? A lot of men, so I'll just speak to men for right now. A lot of men use sex as a tranquilizer. You know, it's kind of like I'm, I'm stressed out and I'm under a lot of tension, and so sex is simply, it's a relief, okay, it's a tranquilizer. Other men, you know, sex is an antidepressant, I'm depressed, and so it picks me up, you know. For others, it, men, it gives a sense of worth, I feel good about myself, I'm desirable, I'm lovable, and, and sex gives me that feeling that I am, you know. For others, it's a, it's a substitute for love, because some men don't know how to have intimacy and tenderness, and so sex is just a quick way to at least seems like there is tenderness and, and intimacy and... Uh, for others it's it's a way to get out your anger and uh, frustration with life kinda the violence inside it's a way of getting it out in a half healthy way it seems and and for others it's it's it satisfies an addictive need you know in that in that's you know it because like a it's such a great pleasure that it's almost a a means of escape from life and so it almost forms a an addictive kind of function in, in 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 many men's life and and for this reason many women even in marriage can take it or leave it um it's not a big deal uh, again, for many women, it's just a filler of loneliness, um, and it's, again, that's an only, uh, and to keep things kind of going in the marriage, but again, never a big picture understanding of what this is all about. So, let's go to, again, chapter 2, verse 24 and 25, that <clears throat> sexuality in Scripture is, is, the, is the reaching of a, of a, of a, a summit or a, a, um, a height it's awesome. It's, it's the, it's, I like to look at it as, a, every illustration is not perfect, but it's like the, it's the summit or the climax, the, the pinnacle, it's the top of the mountain of a relationship. And, and uh, sexual intimacy is the, is the mountain peak of, for two people who have left, okay, leaving, verse 24, there was a leaving, and then there's a cleaving, which I'll review in just a moment, and then as that emotional cleaving takes place within the vow and the contract of a lifelong commitment covenant then there's this mountain peak of something beautiful called sexual intimacy but it's sexual intimacy is a result of a solid oh well, here's a solid marriage that's based on leaving and based on cleaving and uh you know nakedness physical is is a picture of a naked heart in other words at that mountain peak that nakedness physically is a picture of the nakedness of my heart before you of my soul of my vulnerability of my exposure. And so therefore the physical is simply a, a flowing out of what's taking place emotionally, heart-wise. And so that's why um, uh, uh, the deepest intimacy does not es- establishes sexuality. In other words, having sex does not get in- give you intimacy. Okay, if Sex or sexuality supposes there has been deep intimacy uh emotionally leaving and, and cleaving, so here's God's intention. Okay, that's why it requires a contract and a vow of life, because you don't get any more intimate than that, and uh, before God. And so God's intention is that here God creates Adam and Eve. You know, here's Adam, and remember at the end of creation, this is you know creation's wonderful, it's glorious, which means it's off, it's awesome, it's beautiful, it's staggering, and, and then even more awesome than all of the physical creation is this creation of Adam. It's like, oh, he, this is very good, says God in Genesis 1.26. And, and, uh, but God, Adam's lonely, and so God made us for relationship, and, and, and there's something the animals can't fill, and in verse 18, he, he's lonely, there's no helper suitable, and, and so God takes from him and creates someone very different, a female, and, and in verse 23, you know, and God takes out of the rib, and this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, and and then God creates um, uh, a female. And so, he te- and so Adam leaves. And uh, then we get the whole issue of verse 24. There's a forsaking and a leaving that takes place. Now, this is the build-up to understand the big picture. There's a creation of Adam. There's a creation of Eve. There's a male. There's a female. And then, then they first, they, 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 there's a leaving. It says here in verse 24, which means not just detaching. It's a forsaking. It's a, it's a, um, a severing, a cutting of your past. Uh, that was legitimate. The bond you had to your previous family is over. And now there's a leaving of that. And and it's a starting of a whole new relationship with new loyalty, a core loyalty, a core priority, a, a new family that's now birthed as two people leave their families, forsake them, and now they come together and they have a new purpose, a new vision, a new value, and they're a new family. And so I said last week, they say, thank you, Mom and Dad, I appreciate you. But um, that's you know that's you're not controlling my life or running my life. I'm now married. This is my new family, and I've left. And so Ruth chapter one just expresses it so beautifully. It's it is a great quote because if you know the story of Ruth, uh, her her mom had moved to a country called Moab, and uh, her mom's Naomi, and she had two sons. One of the sons married Ruth. Ruth is a non-Jew. She's a Moabite. But the two sons die, and uh, the, the father dies, too. And so it's Naomi, the mother-in-law, with these two daughter-in-laws. And uh, now Naomi says, I'm going to go back home to Israel. And her two sons had married, however, these Moabites, one of which was named Ruth. And uh, so Naomi says to Ruth and the other daughter-in-law, stay here. This is your family. This is your home. Stay here. And uh, I'm going to go back home. And now Ruth is a great great-great-great-grandmother of, I believe, David. But in verse 16, Ruth replies, it's a great understanding of what it means to leave. It's a great picture of it. She says, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And uh, where you die, I will die. That's leaving. It's... um, Uh, It's a transference of basic loyalty, and so Ruth left it all, and she went with her husband's, at this point family, and left it all. It's a tremendous picture of truly leaving, and for her it meant leaving everything, and uh, this transference, I'm talking about a basic loyalty from, from your childhood family to a new family is utterly crucial to a healthy marriage, and so Often, that's, we talked about last week, that's never done or it's not done properly. And so we, we bring the baggage of our families into the picture and we don't want to face the bad memories of the past family and that shapes us and haunts us. And We talked about that. We need to just say thank you and, and release that. And, but marriage is not about, uh, it is about abandoning two worlds. It's not about joining, I'm going to join your world and my world together. No, it's not about that. It's about abandoning your world, abandoning my world, and we join and we form a new world. And so that's leaving. And then there's a cleaving aspect or uniting back to 224. You'd be leaving and then united. This is the big picture. You're climbing up this mountain now. But there's got to be a leaving. And then there's a cleaving or, or, or the word literally is sticking together. And uh, it begins by, it's referring to emotional sticking, emotionally coming together. And that word intercourse really means verbal intercourse. Let's have intercourse as verbally to, to share your soul, to share your heart, to share from the inside out. It's a, it's a verbal thing first. It's an emotional sticking. And um, it's an inter, it's a, it's a, it's a intercourse of your heart and your passion, and, and it takes time. We talked about that last week, and just, I don't want to review that. But it's not talking about your kids or your work or your money. It's talking about you. It's talking about me. We're talking about vulnerability. We're talking about exposure. We're talking about honesty. And it's very easy to have a marriage that's not an honest place, as uh, all of us who are married know. But as we have conversation, real conversation, there's an interpenetration of souls, of life, that takes place. We're talking about emotional cleaving. And, uh, in fact, in marriages, sexuality is one of the most difficult things to talk about. I mean, I mean, for you to give your spouse permission to share their feelings about sexuality is really heavy. And very marriages don't talk about it, because it's just there's not that kind of cleaving that takes place. not that kind of openness and vulnerability, and, and I want to encourage you to do that. And so for men especially, I mean, if there's no intercourse with words, I'm talking about honesty, exposure, vulnerability, uh, and then, then, to, then to, to have a giving of the bodies without the giving of the self, it's almost like making sexuality a mockery, because you're missing the true heart of what this thing's all about. You're giving your body without giving yourself. And uh, it's making a mockery of what really is one flesh sexual intimacy before God. And that's why it's so important to see the big intimacy. You see, you know, in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul talks about the Corinthians were going to prostitutes. And he says, do you not know that he who unites, he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For he said the two will become one flesh. And he takes this verse from Genesis 2. In other words, sex is a visible and tangible act of one flesh intimacy, okay? But but if there's not one flesh intimacy and there's sex, it's a lie. Do you understand? It's a counterfeit. It's it's not the real thing because there's really not been a cleaving. There's really not been intercourse. There's really not been the interpenetration of souls. There's really not been the climbing of the mountain. And uh, that's why for promiscuity and single to be floating around sexually going around partner to partner, whatever, and there's no covenant commitment, there's no climbing a mountain. It's cheapening something which is so glorious and beautiful before God. It was never God's intention to be like that. Just an exchange of bodies. Animals can do that. It was so much deeper and glorious and beautiful than simply that. And and so that's why this leaving and cleaving is so foundational in the big picture because another verse where Jesus says no one can follow me unless he hates his mother, father, brother, sister. Remember that? You know, and What's he mean? Hate your parents? No, no. He means that, that you have a new priority now. It's, it's me. That your new priority and value of your heart above all else is me. Okay? Now, in the same way, the issue is the order of the priorities of the heart. In the same way, it could be said, if anyone does not uh, hate all other people, you can't love your spouse. Because, in a sense, the order of priorities is that strong. That's how that's the perspective of all other people outside of your spouse if you are married in this room. You know, a quote I read last week, and I'll read it again, just a piece of it. Hear this well, ready? This comes from The Mystery of Marriage by Michael Mason. Next to the love of God, the one thing that is by far, I'm gonna underline this by far the most important thing in the life of all married people is their marriage. Their loving devotion to their partner. And I want to say this again. The one thing that is next to loving God, by far the most important thing in the life of all married people is their marriage. The loving devotion to their partner. Now, in evangelical culture, it's God, marriage, others, and ministry. But God and Marriage and ministry are really very, very close. They're not to be as close as they are. It's God, marriage, others. The key word is by far the most important thing in life. Nothing on earth must take precedence over that. Not children, not jobs, not friendships, not even Christian work. For marriage involves nothing more than a lifelong commitment to love just one person. To do whatever else one does a good, thorough job of loving one person. If you're married or you don't love anybody else, well, love that one person. Well, you want to love your neighbor? Begin with your spouse. And out of that is God's intention love is to brim over to the world. So I know, you know, I mean, I just, so physically, this issue of then cleaving or sticking in the big picture is there is that kind of a commitment. There's that kind of a leaving. There's this kind of an emotional interpenetration of my soul to yours, out of which now they're naked, they have no shame, out of which flows now the top of the mountain, there is now sexual intimacy. There's the physical sticking that takes place, which is simply an outgrowth of intimacy that's taking place between two people who've made a lifelong vow before God. And uh, so, anyway, you know, you know singles say, why, why does God make me wait? Why is he making me suffer like this? And, you know, my hormones are kicking in, you know, and... Uh, and emotionally I'm 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 struggling, and, and that's very legitimate. You know, in, in biblical times, people got married as teenagers. That's not the case anymore. And so to say there's not a struggle for your singles, well, I t- I'm empathize and you know, I know you I talk. I mean it's it's difficult. Um, but there is grace from God to enable you, to, he will not give you temptation beyond what you are able, but more importantly, it's so critical that you get a hold of the big picture so that. You like a think of a fish swimming in water. Something they say, you know something? I'm swimming in this water. but I look outside the bowl, it looks a lot easier and better out there. Look how free those humans are. And we jump out of the bowl to be free. But really don't want We jump out of the bowl as a fish and we die. Because God created us to swim in water. God created your tender soul, singles, your tender hearts, in such a way that your, your spirit, your soul cannot bear sexual intimacy without the leaving and the cleaving taking place first it damages your soul god didn't make you for that and that's why many have scars and and god heals that too but it may look good to jump out of the water because you're quote in love but without that vow and vows have enormous value okay there's not true leaving and cleaving that can take place okay so that's the big picture number two Let me move on ready True sexual intimacy requires sacrifice. So first, you got to get the big picture. Get the big picture. I, I, I know it was a little laborious. It's not. The big picture will transform your sexual life if you can see it. Number two is it requires sacrifice. How many people have ever climbed a mountain? Gone uh, mountaineering? Anybody here? Okay. I never. I read a book though. I, it was really interesting. I've climbed hills, but there is a parallel of. Mountaineering and sexuality. Now, here's, here's from the book, uh, Mountaineering. Mountaineering is more than climbing, says the author. This is the Bible of Mountaineering, was called. It's more than the beautiful views and wilderness experience. It is also a challenge. It's risk, it's hardship, and it's not for everyone. Those drawn to the mountains can find them exhilarating and irresistible, as well as frustrating and sometimes even deadly. If you want to climb mountains, be prepared for the totality of nature. There are storms as well as soft breezes. There are tangled brush as well as soft flowers. There are biting insects as well as singing birds. And uh, it, in the book he talks about all this mental and preparation and skills one has to develop, education about clothing and equipment and camping and, and ice picks and, and ropes and knots and rock climbing and snow travel and all this gear you, you need, you know, and repair kits and snow stakes and kitchen gear. you got to learn to read a map. And, 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 and I read this book. I said, oh, can you imagine trying to mountain climb? I mean, mountain, not hill climbing, mountain climbing without knowing how to read a map? And yet most of us approach sexuality in the same way we pick up whatever we heard and we'd bam, we're in our t-shirts and shorts and climbing up the mountain at Mount Everest. And as you know, many people died in Mount Everest the last few years because they were very flippant in the way they approached it. And, ah, we can do this. And many folks approach sexuality, even in marriage. Ah, yeah, yeah, boom. And uh, before they know it, they're stuck in a mountain and dying for air and what happened and, and totally lost and confused. And so God gives us a map. And, I, and, uh, and, and marriage and sexuality is a, a real parallel. Now before the fall, I'm going to suggest something to you. This is, I cannot prove this. But I, I believe this, okay, and I, I think it's true. Before the fall, Adam and Eve, before there was ever sin, they had to work, I believe, at connecting sexually. In other words, it didn't just happen. There was work to be done because of the way God made them as human beings in the image of God, and there was a need for the emotional cleaving to take place and all the work that's involved. They were not the same people. God did not clone Adam. There's cloning going on, right? The sheep that was cloned in in Scotland, God did not clone Adam. God made a female who was very different. In fact, you know, she was almost the opposite. I mean, she she was she was different than Adam. That's what that's what was you know they're opposite sexes. We call them the opposite sex. They're separate sex, male and female, and and to achieve one flesh intimacy when you have two separate individuals, even without sin takes work, it takes vulnerability, it takes openness, it takes exposure, it takes honesty. Um, Even the way God made men and women differently in terms of their bodies, for arousal, I mean men are aroused, you know, visually, you know, it takes about 1.5 seconds, you know, for a man. It's visual, it's intense, and it's rapid. You know, that's how God made men's bodies. Women's, it's very different. It's slow. It's atmosphere. It's preparation. It's romance. It's tenderness. It could take two hours. (laughs) It's very, that's common. That's the way God made women's bodies. Women are not 1.5 seconds. Now, God made bodies that differently. And I think, why did he do that? To build in frustration? No. He did it because he intended that there would be cleaving. There would be work involved in climbing the mountain. Now, after the fall and sin, I mean, needless to say, you've got, you know, in chapter Genesis 3, verse 16, you've got the battle of the sexes going on. Eve wanting to dominate, and Adam wanting to dominate. And and so what happens is many men want the woman to be a woman, but act like but, but have a body of a man, live like a man in a sense. I want you to function like I do. And many women want a man, but they want the man to function as a woman. Are you following me? And So, it's very, so, so there, there's not a, a respect, of just the differences. Because you see, it's very difficult to have true sexual intimacy without a lot of sacrifice. And God built it in such a way that there was sacrifice built into sexuality ever taking place. Now I noticed it's not with the movie show. This is not TV. Okay, But that's not life either. This is the way God set it up. Now it doesn't sell, can't make a movie on it, the hard work and sacrifice involved in having sexual, in intimate sexual intimacy with each other, but it's not despising the differences of your spouse. It's glorying in the fact that, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't want you to be a, a woman, a man, Jerry. I, I, I want you to be a woman and, and your body to respond like a woman, and I don't. And what happens a lot of time we hate, the our spouse's sexual response. Men hate women's, and women's hates men's. There's a tremendous friction that goes on there. And, and uh, we see God, I believe, set up the wiring of our, us in such a way, in this whole climbing the mountain process, leaving and cleaving, that the process requires sacrifice on the part of both. And so there's a lie that goes on. And you know what the lie is? That sex ought to be easy and natural. That is a lie. Oh, geez, natural. No, it's not true. God didn't build it that way. And, uh, and so, again, we add the curse and the fall and sin and shame and hiding and all that other stuff we've talked about in the last six, seven weeks. And so what happens is sex becomes a weapon. I use, I withhold my spouse and all those other kinds of stuff. And so far from what God ever intended for sexual intimacy. And, and so what happens, you know, if, 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 if without sacrifice you have all kinds of anxiety... Even within marriage, sexual relationships, you, you know, there's, great, there's great potential for failure in, in sexuality. And, and uh, you know, it was God's intention that one would learn about sexuality over time. There would be trial and error. That's why the vow and the contract of marriage is so critical, because of the fear that comes with sex. It takes that kind of a safe place to grow in this thing. And that's why so often the sexual relationship is one of the, one of the barometers of where this marriage is at. And uh, there's a lot of disgust that takes place in, 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 uh, even within marriages, and, but not a grasp of the splendor and the beauty of what this sexuality is. And folks have been abused. Some have had very negative education about sexuality from their past and church backgrounds and almost a hatred of the body, and, and they bring that into their marriage, especially if some of you have been abused, and you know what that's like. And then there's anger sometimes in marriage has got to be worked through of just feeling used by your partner and, and, and working all that. What I'm saying is that when leaving and cleaving is incomplete, When there's not the sacrifice of what it's gonna require for me to cleave to my spouse, there's gonna be tensions and disappointments and and, and struggles in the sex relationship. God built it that way because it's the climbing of the mountain and the reaching of that of that summit. And, And that's why you know what? That's what makes fantasy and adultery so attractive. I don't have to deal with the hassle of my spouse. And the sacrifice and the work and the conflict and the tension. You know something? I will just have an, I'll find someone, I'll have an affair. They won't think, we won't deal with a lot of other stuff, but we'll just, we'll, we'll just take a helicopter and we'll jump from mountain peak to mountain peak. I'll get a ski lift. Why walk up the mountain? It's too much work. You know, I'll have an adulterous affair and it'll be so much easier. So much, or fantasy and pornography or fantasy and whatever or immorality because this relationship thing. And then I think of, Climbing a mountain and leaving, and dealing with my baggage and my past, and having to cleave and know this person's pain and bleed with them and know their soul and oh, oh man, I'm just gonna. I'm, do I want to embrace? Do I want to embrace this? No, you know something? I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the best part. I'm getting out of here. What it looks like, but you know something? It always disappoints, because God never intended true sexual intimacy to be experienced any other way except in a safe place of leaving and cleaving, where really. There's sacrifice, and there's, a people, there's, there's two folks who understand the big picture. Now, let me try to tie this up here. Remember, I talked about embracing the curse. You can flee the curse, and many people do in terms of their sexuality. You can flee, you know, go into fantasy. You can fight it, and it becomes almost a power thing that goes on. And the, but you understand, immorality, singles, is an end run around the problems of relationship. It's an end run. It's quick. It's quick. It seems like it will be quick intimacy. I don't have to deal with the thorns and thistles. We can have instant intimacy as a couple. But that's not true. And as you know, it doesn't happen. You wake up and it's not, there's no intimacy there. So, okay. All right, number three. Let me close with this. True intimacy requires not just understanding the big picture. It doesn't just require understanding this issue of sacrifice. Because each have to sacrifice. It requires honesty, repentance, and bold love. I, I used that as my, end of my outline a few messages ago. And I'm going to come back to it again. It requires honesty, repentance, and bold love. Few marriages, don't get discouraged, those of you eager to be married, but few marriages ever climb the mountain. Most marriages get about a certain way up. And you know, it gets, you've seen pictures of Mount Everest, you know, there's clouds. And, and it just, they, basically, it's too much work to go any further. Let's just stay right here. It's such a hassle. So much, there's so much pain involved in going to the next level. If we go to the next level, you know something? We may lose everything. So let's just stay right where we are and not raise all these deep issues that are really going on between us. Let's not really be honest because that is so scary that we'll just make a camp right here. And many folks just camp out at a certain altitude and that's the end of that. And the truth is they never experience true sexual intimacy and what God really intends for this thing. See, bits spits pieces of it. And so, again, some of you say, my spouse is not open, you know, and, or I've been abused, and, and the pain of that, and working through that. And, or I don't know about this intimacy. I'm not good at sharing my feelings. I'm not, I don't even know what I feel most of the time. Or, or my past is so rocky with immorality, and I bring so much junk into this thing. And, and then, I don't know, just, just figuring all this out. I'm just, I, I'll just camp out right here. And, uh, and so it's very easy to be stopped at a certain place of self-protection, um, not opening and pretending. It's really pretending. And uh, now I'm just going to say this nicely. Sin is sin, right? Sin is sin. And if you numb yourself because you want to play it safe, because you don't want to open yourself up because you might be hurt again, and I'm not saying to put yourself in a position to get hurt all, all over the place and needlessly, but, but God's call is for you to love. Love Him and love people. That's God's call for your life. And to not do that, no matter how you cut it, is sin. You got to hear that. I mean, we can, we can paint, we can blame, I know we can blame everybody. But God's call for you, honestly, is to love. And when you look at the, 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 the call of love on your life and my life, to love God, to love people, beginning with your spouse if you're married, to engage them, we all fall terribly short and are broken by that. Say, so, oh Lord, the law of love breaks everybody if you look at it honestly. And, uh, but repentance is, I acknowledge the fact that there's a supreme call on my life to love people. And I don't. I don't. In fact, I don't even love my spouse that well. And to, like in Luke 15, the prodigal son, to come to the father and, and fall, and I like the expression, to melt in his warm arms. For forgiveness and cleansing, and then to, to boldly love. This is, this is heavy., this is, okay, to boldly love others, your spouse, and I mean, that's, that's hard. This cleaving stuff is, is heavy. Actively and opening my heart and others-centered and, 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 and feeling what they feel and hurting with that, and being involved, they've hurt me, and then forgiving people's debts, and I don't want to boldly love. I'll praise God all you want. I'll go to services five nights a week. But don't ask me to do this, God. You'll kill me. And so we can even wrap it in religious terms to avoid it. We can flee. We can fight. And we don't really say requirements, say honesty, repentance, and bold love. God's call in your life is love. I think God's doing a tremendous thing in our church. I'm going to close with these two applications. First to singles, second to married. Listen, I think God's doing a great thing here. You know what God's doing here? I think God's done with religion in our midst. I think He's finished playing games, using God talk to hide from stuff, pretending. God's called you, God has called me to walk with him honestly, authentically, and he's called us to love people. As Paul said, I don't care what you have. There's no love. I don't care if you prophesy. I don't care if there's 50,000 people who have come to Christ through you. It doesn't matter. If there's really not love flowing out of you, Paul says, it's a waste of time. That's not maturity. That's not growing up. You can blame all you want, but the truth is you don't really care about loving other people. You're not growing in love for other people. That's foundational. That requires brokenness and repentance. Are you following me, everybody? That is a tremendous, to me, revelation I feel like in the last couple of years, I finally say, oh, God, what a, what a, what a, how simple, how could I missed it? All right, singles. Obviously, singles, if you listen to this talk, you're saying, well, the battle with sexuality, your struggle with sexuality will not end when you get married. That is, in fact, it may only get compounded worse. And, uh, but I want to encourage you, God's grace will carry you through as you follow him, but keep that big picture in mind and don't, let, don't settle for anything less than God's intention for you. Now, singles get, one is get, some of you need to get out of a stuck place. I'm talking about, you know some, some of you have a tendency to just use sex as a quick fix. You know, and you're fearful, you're crippled to get close to people of the opposite sex for whatever reasons, and that's not a good place to begin. God wants you to learn to, in a healthy way, Engage relationally with people of the opposite sex. God desires that. And uh, he wants you to grow in that. He wants you to learn the skills of intimacy now. How do I be intimate with people? How do I share myself with people? How do I really engage people and listen to them? How do I tell stories? How do I listen to stories? How do I hear people's hearts? And It's a skill you do want to learn when you get and when you get married. It's something you want to learn. You want to grow in that now and being a person that's able to get close to people. Many people in our culture have no clue on how to get close to people. You want to say, God, grow me in that. I want to learn the skills and, and friendships of people in the same sex, of such value of skill and development. And then, and then learn what it means for you to leave. You know, even though you may, you may be an you know, adult at this point, what does it mean for you to leave, have left home and your baggage and working through that and growing as a mature individual as you pursue God and say, God, shape me into the man the woman that you want me to be. So that the best thing you can do for your future is to pursue God as a single person. The best thing you can do, do for your future relationship with anyone is to pursue him. All right, and let God make you a vessel. And just married people, let me just say one quick word. Uh, I don't want to be a bomb. But, you know, for some of the men, you know, until your wife feels that you have a relationship or a better relationship, sex for, to some women can feel like rape, even within marriage. Well, there's really not been the relationship. That's been laid first. And, uh, you know, so husbands, you want great sex. And, and uh, the key is to pursue passionately leaving and cleaving and enter into your spouse's emotional world and how God made her uniquely created in the image of God a female, separate from you, with no strings attached, know her soul, cherish her, and as the Bible says, die for her. And, uh, and so for the wives, you be honest about how you feel. Talk, talk, talk. What's the key to sexual intimacy in marriages? Talk, 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 talk. And ask God what it means for you to be leaving and how does it look for you to be cleaving to your spouse. Whew. Amen. I'm going to ask you all to stand. Let just bow your heads for just a moment. <clears throat> there are so many things I did not say, and so many doors that, in a sense were open that were not closed. And undoubtedly, in everybody here, there are many feelings going on inside. So just take a moment and offer yourself to God. First, just yourself as an individual, male, female, made in God's image. and bring your sexuality God made you a, a man, or God made you a woman, who you are, and offer that to God.